What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, the spooky little side street podcast in the Nightmare on Film Street feed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are joined today with writer-director Keith Thomas to talk about his super creepy movie, The Vigil. I'm so stoked to talk about this movie with Keith Thomas, but also to talk to you guys about it. It just landed on VOD at the end of February, and uh, it scared the crap out of me. As you'll hear later in this interview, actually, there are still scenes (laughs) that Kim has refused to watch. I don't know why I always tell directors that I can barely watch their movies, but they seem to find it a compliment, so it works out in the the way of horror films, at least. It works out. Oh, (laughs) yeah. How would you not take that as a compliment, right? Like, your movie's so scary, there are parts I can't watch. You're like, oh my god, thank you so much. (laughs) Can you come with me everywhere? (laughs) That's all I've ever wanted. It's just the the cards I was dealt. The eye closed, blanket up, ears plugged cards. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want to pack that very same scaredy cat starter pack before watching the vigil. Because yeah, this movie's this movie's great. We bring also- some incense, pack some sage, and pictures noise of cance- your mom. <laughs> pictures of your mom. I was gonna say noise canceling headphones. <laughs> you know, it almost <laughs> sounds like you shouldn't watch this movie. It's very scary. Uh, it's really great. It's an awesome story. It's a tight little story that takes place inside one small house over a single night where a character is watching over a dead body. Yes. Just a quick plug before we head into the meat of this week's episode. We are doing a super fun Fiend Club exclusive event in the Spooky Speakeasy this Saturday night. Join us if you haven't been part of the Fiend Club. They are always a blast. It's a couple bucks a month and you get access to super fun events, merch, swag, all kinds of fun stuff. This week we are watching Humanoids from the Deep to kick off an awesome March break celebration we'll be doing all month long at Nightmare on Film Street. And oh boy, Humanoids from the Deep. Yeah, what a great movie. And, you know, also the perfect movie to transition from Women in Horror Month into our March break month yes. where we're celebrating broken bones, broken minds, and vacation destination <laughs> horror. I added that one. <laughs> yeah. It is a very, it is an all-encompassing monthly theme, and we have some really great podcasts lined up for you. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about some of these goofy movies. Yeah, but Humanoids from the Deep, Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Get more details at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. We're also going to be playing Phasmophobia again on Friday. You can join that for free at twitch.tv slash Nightmare on Film Street. Again, reminder, scaredy cats. Scaredy cats. Now, I talk a big game. But the worst, the worst <laughs> part about playing games like Phasmophobia on Twitch is that everybody gets to see it's it's all talk because as soon as a fucking ghost is up in my face, yeah, I'm screaming. It happens. I'm sorry. <laughs> I squeal like a I, I squeal like a little Kim. 
Last time we played, I got to be a ghost for a real long time. Like we died very early on. And so I got to live in the netherworld for a real long time. And it was actually kind of calming. I felt rather zen about it. So you're looking forward to it. To dying. Yes. In the game. Okay. <laughs> Good enough. Okay. Let's let's get into our chat with Keith Thomas, writer-director of The Vigil, which is out now uh, in select theaters on VOD On Demand from your friends at IFC Midnight. I love that movie. Yeah, no. IFC Midnight, super rad. I don't remember the last time I saw a movie from IFC Midnight that wasn't great. And no one's paying me to say that. <laughs> it's just a fact. <laughs> But before we get into it, here's the trailer for The Vigil. Explain this how I feel us. We have to leave now. There is something very, very wrong here. We have to go now. It won't let you live. Mrs. Litvak, what won't let me leave? The magic. It'll make you see terrible things. The Masik will find another broken person. Keith, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're really excited to talk to you about your movie, The Vigil. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a long road for this movie to come out. We actually had a chance to see this with a live audience. So we're like one of a small group of people that can attest to like how fucking scary this movie is. <laughs> Fingers crossed we can get movie theaters open again so you can, you can really hear the sound get sucked out of the room. Yeah, no, uh, we've got... So far, there are some theaters showing. We'll see kind of what happens, but I'm excited to, it's it's kind of twofold. Excited to have that sort of theatrical experience uh, that, that we had at TIFF and that I had at some other festivals before this lockdown. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who've seen it on their laptop with their headphones who've, uh, you know, said it was even scarier <laughs> because they could pick up all the sound design uh, in a very quiet sort of setting. So I guess you get you get the best of both worlds with that. I had kind of planned on talking about this later, <laughs> further down the road, but like since you brought it up, let's talk about sound design. I think that is one of the creepiest parts of this movie because like the just like any room that, that your characters step foot in, like immediately it's just like dread has been cranked up to, to, to 100. <laughs> yeah, you know, the importance of that kind of came from a few places. Number one, it being my first film, I knew I was not going to have a huge budget. And 
horror is always, I, you know, growing up, whenever I'd see a horror film as, as a young kid and I got scared, I just plugged my ears and that always, you know, 50%, it was better. It was less <laughs> scary. So I knew the power of sound. Um, and so even in the earliest scripting stages, I had written the sound design into the script and it was just so important. I had told the producers that, you know, this is 60 to 70% of the movie is the sound because it's very contained. It's a very contained film. And so you have to broaden the world out in terms of like, well, what's happening upstairs? You can show shots of a darkness at the top of the stairs, but to hear something up there, the mind just starts conjuring stuff. And so, yeah, it was crucial uh, even from the beginning to develop the sound as much as possible and then figure out how that, that sound design works with the score and you know what's doing what lifting here. And at the same time, keeping it somewhat natural not that we're, like we're hearing an elephant upstairs, but that somehow this feels as though it makes sense in the world that in which we're in. And then playing with that as the psychology shifts, as things get more and more intense. What do you think is like the cornerstone to what makes that so effective? Like, is it just that like you're playing with frequencies that like you feel more than you hear? Like, I, I don't know anything about sound design is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that much either, but... <laughs> You know, there you could tell when you hear it. Um, so for me, for example, there was a certain sound that we really that 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 accompanied the appearance or the threat of the appearance of the 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 central villain of the film. And working on that sound, boy, that was challenging. It was kind of like right finding something that that fits the world that feels natural to it, but at the same time isn't. That same time feels different because I, I know this just as, again, a lot of the film comes from just me, you know, whatever, being awake at night in the middle of the night and kind of just being alone and listening. Sounds are just different when depending on your mental state. And if you're exhausted and you just want to be asleep, you'll hear something that normally might sound, you know, fine. You wouldn't worry about. But then in this new context, you're like, wait, what was that? Um, and so those creaks, those bangs, those settlings of a house sort of things it was just like how do you amplify and twist those how do you how do you make those even stronger and it's amazing when I you know met with the Foley artists uh, and actually saw them making some of these sounds it's like wow where the hell did you get that that you know really all of this is really just that file cabinet that you're you're, you're kind of pulling a saw across that's crazy um so yeah it was the sound design aspect was a lot of fun and and, and very integral that's so fun. And it, it's cool, too, because you say when you were younger and you would close your eyes with the visual, like I'm a huge wuss. So when I watch movies, um, <laughs> I I close my eyes. And when there's terrifying sounds like in this movie, you still get the scare, even if you're too big a wuss to watch the actual scare. Like there's there's still like that resonance and like that that bodily reaction because the sounds they get you, even if you're uh, hiding away. Yeah, she's seen this movie <laughs> twice now and there are still scenes that there's... she hasn't technically watched you there are a couple scares i haven't watched it's a compliment yeah. it's a compliment <laughs> that's that's good that's good you know uh you know for me rumbling i don't know what it is maybe it's like i'm like my dog who's just down here on the floor he's like terrified of thunder and it's the thing he's terrified with the thunder is the sound that i don't hear because he can hear it before it's coming he's hearing this like low frequency rumbling sort of thing and so we played with some of that. I, I, I like the the deeper the bass, the sort of rumbling sort of thing that there's something about it that feels almost like it washes over you. Um, 
and it just kind of it weaponizes the sound to a certain extent of like causing uh, you know kind of a physical discomfort before you actually even get the visual aspects of it uh, just priming you yeah like the anticipation of it the scenes mm-hmm. in the hall when you look up the stairs are so terrifying just because you have to wait for the camera to pan and like <laughs> as as somebody who who's really afraid of like what you might see up at the top those moments are excruciating <laughs> yeah and it, for me it's all about extending those and, and stretching those out it's funny in in the script uh, a sequence you know like looking up the stairs which would normally be like an eighth of a page you know Yakov stands at the bottom of the stairs and looks up and then at the top he sees darkness and then he he turns and walks back to the chair i stretch those out in the script to, to try to describe the sound just live in that moment and let these things almost in it's again trying to do this real time thing the the scare itself the, the when something appears or when something happens that's very cathartic it's like a a knee jerk it's a it's a reflex that you you jump or you startle but it feels good because you 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 got past the point you were dreading whereas i like the stuff leading up to that point the the dread part of it and so it was about trying to stretch that out as much as I could to not let you have that catharsis to like keep you in that sort of moment. So for me, it was really the moment he gets to the house. So really, I suppose the end, the very end of the film, it was trying to keep you uh, in that state of anxiety. Now you definitely did it. it. What's really funny is that like the stuff that you're talking about here that like I, I love seeing in horror movies is also the stuff that I absolutely hate about nightmares that I have all the time. <laughs> and yeah, like that's that's what's what it is. Like there's just this feeling that like something's gonna happen, you don't know what it is, but it never comes. And I you I think you really also nailed the visual of of nightmares, especially in that scene where, where mm-hmm. Yakov leaves the house for, for a minute and he's trying to walk mm-hmm. down the street, and it's like he's just like wading through like pudding like he he can't move he can't scream yeah um so i guess what i'm trying to say is are those also pulled from your own nightmares yeah no i mean thank you i'm glad they worked and you know and i i you know it's great i haven't been asked this before but yes it's that's true so that sequence in particular where he gets out of the house and he tries to escape right that's exactly the sort of psychology was you can't move fast enough. You're in slow motion. And he opens his mouth to scream and nothing comes out, which is like a horrible, I've had that nightmare so many times. It's so painful. Um, and uh, actually a lot of the scares in the film are from nightmares. There was, there's a particular moment in the film where he has a call with his psychiatrist. Oh, that God. is <laughs> purposely, <laughs> it's purposely like a psychologically unnerving and uncanny, but it's directly from a dream that I had probably when I was like 14 years old, where I, uh, I I guess I was prophetic because in the dream, I imagined a cell phone before cell phones. Oh, wow. And I was, I had uh, in the dream, it was this, I was very upset about something. And I called in the, in the dream I had a, a girlfriend and I called her on this cell phone in the car. And I poured my heart out to her and she was answering all these questions and talking. And then I realized looking at my phone that I had the wrong number oh, and it was wow. so freaky because I just poured my heart out and this person was responding as if they knew. And I just like, this is not who I meant to call. And so that stuck with me. And it was like, how do I, I need to use that somehow. I need to like bring that in. So yeah, a lot of it is born of both me sitting around and trying to make myself uncomfortable and thinking of what I can use. And then also, yeah, just nightmares, just 
just remembering them because it's funny how you can forget some of your your favorite dreams but the nightmares stick with you <laughs> forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man it's it's so funny that you talk about uh screaming but nothing coming out because i i have that that nightmare all the time but the flip side of that is that i occasionally get woken up by kim here <laughs> telling me that i'm very much screaming in real life so that's all <laughs> <laughs> Right, you just don't hear yourself, but it's actually yeah. coming out. If I knew that inside my nightmare, that would probably make the nightmare worse. It's weird that you don't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like uh, Jack sitting at the table in The Shining where he's like moaning and having that horrible nightmare <laughs> and being so loud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the process of, of building the story because the concept, the, like this, the central story that we have a character who's a showmer sitting over this body is is ingenious do you have any experience with that or do you have you, do you know somebody who used to do that yeah so it's it's relatively unknown kind of in the wider world but relatively common in the jewish community and so i've known about it for a long time i've never been a shomer but i know a lot of people who have friends and family of mine who've sat the vigil and you know it's considered a mitzvah which in you know in, in judaism is like a good deed uh and even richer than that it's something that kind of is good in the eyes of god you know something that that, that that truly makes you a good person so it's a mitzvah to do to be a shomer and 99 percent of the time right it's a family member so grandma dies and then the the grandchildren the children watch the body typically in shifts not for very long but in the ultra-orthodox community there are these paid showmers who will sit and watch bodies for extended periods of time, uh, you know, alone, essentially. And that was always fascinating to me. And number one, I was like, how is it that no one has made a movie with this setup? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, sitting with a dead body is just inherently, you know, uh, you know, uncomfortable. At the same time, it was, you know, I could see a situation where you could take that setup and then just go balls to the walls with some sort of like, like an evil dead kind of film which I didn't want to do because it just seemed crass and in a certain way. I, I wanted to be true to, this is a beautiful sort of ritual. It is paying respect to this person who has died and is, you know, there, there's a deeper mythology to it in that the understanding is in Judaism. So the body needs to be buried right away. There's no open casket or embalming or anything like that. The body needs to go right into the ground because the understanding is that the soul will not ascend to heaven until it's buried, until the body's buried. Mm -hmm. And the soul is in fact lingering. It is just hovering above the body. And so the, the Shomer's watch isn't over the corpse so much as over the soul that is still there uh, and waiting to go into the earth so it can ascend to heaven. So, you know, it's protecting the body against rats. And this is an ancient, ancient custom. So things like that, but also against evil spirits. So there's kind of a beauty to it. And the Shomer's, the people who've, you know, been a shomer that i've spoken to they've seen it that way it's like very beautiful and respectful the paid shomers however the folks who are doing it for people they don't know mm -hmm. you know they see it as a duty it's obligation they're getting paid this is a job i'm going to do this it's important in our film yakov is a pretty terrible shomer because <laughs> you know the rules around it are such that you are technically not supposed to do anything the body can't so there's no eating no drinking oh. no going to the bathroom oh. you're just sitting and praying which is, you know, spoilers, I guess, is this not what he does. He's absolutely not doing that. He doesn't want to be there. He's been called back. Um, but yeah, the setup seemed perfect. Like this in a house alone with a body, that's pretty crazy. 
what can you do with that? And so that's kind of sent my mind spinning. It's not too often you come across something that you say, why hasn't somebody made a movie of that yet? Like that's, that's gotta be a good rush, right? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And that's when, you know, I knew is going to be my first feature is like, right. Finding that distinctive thing. It was an idea in the back of my head for a very long time. Uh, and it, I don't know why it suddenly reappeared, but it was like, I need, I want to make a horror film because that's my genre. That's my thing. I need something personal that if I feel like I can make that I can speak to. And then the Shomer thing came in. I was like, wow, that's it. It's like handed to me. It's perfect. <laughs> you mentioned having talked to some Shomers uh, for, I guess, background research. Is this something that usually is creepy? Like you say that they look at it <laughs> as a duty, but like I could completely understand if there are countless ghost stories people have told about odd things that have happened while they're watching, while they're sitting on uh, vigil. Yeah, def, you know, so it's interesting. There have been a few people who've who've mentioned that sort of thing. It's unusual to have the body in a house. So the, the setup here is a little different in that it's not something that never happens, but it typically the body's at a mortuary or the body's, you know, kept at a place and that's where the Shomer is, uh, is watching there. So it's a little bit of a different atmosphere, though that could be just as creepy. So the setup is a little different, but yes, I've, I, you know, I think a lot of people, I don't know, if you're sitting with a body, if you've, if you've ever been, you know, around someone who's passed away around a corpse you automatic you know it's just you automatically begin thinking about mortality and you begin thinking about your life it's you know impossible not to and it puts everything into this existential sort of perspective and that it once you're in that mindset it can kind of go either way right you, you could end up thinking uh, very positively in these sort of beautiful thoughts of you know these sorts of things or you can go into the dark and, uh, you know, I've definitely, you know, heard that from people like discomfort. They, there are definitely people who can't do this, <laughs> right? I'm not, I can't be a showmer because I don't want to be thinking of this. I don't want to, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of the way I was, I took it was, that's interesting. You get the wrong person kind of in this situation and, you, you, you know, interesting stuff can come out of that. Yeah. And, and Yakko is, Yakov is a, is a really interesting character in general, uh, like regardless of whether he was uh, a paid showmer or not. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is like everything really feeds into itself really well. This is less of a question, more of a compliment. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, thanks. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just like his his wanting to leave the community, his um, he's reminded of a lot of pain is what I'm getting at, especially sitting here like you're talking about going to a dark place. He's got a lot of a lot of darkness in him. And... Demons, per se. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, they, they play off each other really well. Yeah, thank you. That was, you know, it was interesting kind of, right, having that setting. Okay, we're going to do a Shomer movie. Who's the most interesting sort of character to put in that situation? If you're going to have a dark night of the soul, you find somebody who's, who I see Yaakov is somebody who has not been wanting to deal with certain issues that are affecting him and kind of doing everything he can to avoid it. So you take that person who's maybe super busy all the time in terms of like, trying to pay for his rent and trying to figure the world out. And then you put him in a place where it's just him and a body and in this room, all that stuff's going to come up and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So I think in a lot of ways, early in the film, he tries to distract himself, right. He's on his cell phone, he's listening to music, but that trauma, that thing that he's trying to avoid that psychological kind of wound 
it's going to make itself known. There's no way he can avoid it. And that in some ways he's got it in this funnel, like the, the, from the beginning of the movie, he is put into this thing. And the only way out is the tightest kind of end there. And he's, it's not going to be easy if he's going to make it. So, you know, yeah, having that set up and kind of getting into that psychology was really important for me in terms of tackling ideas and themes I really wanted to talk about, like, like guilt and trauma and PTSD and things that are personal to me, but uh, you know, but I think are also, you know, relatable to a lot of people. Yeah. And like you, you really have sort of like story circles and in, inside other story circles there too, because he's running away from his community because it reminds him of this tortured memory that he has, but it isn't really until he kind of comes back or sort of confronts that, that he realizes that, that that's something that's really shared by his entire community. Yeah. There's a lot. It's interesting. The kind of, it's only, after having made it and kind of reassessed it and looked at it again, that I see this kind of repetition going on in the film is that he left and then he's called back. He leaves, he's dragged back. <laughs> it's this constant kind of everyone's going and then coming back in it and kind of dealing with that, which I suppose is pretty much what our lives are like, right? We're, we're, we're embarking on something new and then coming back. And, you know, there's a, both a benefit and a, a negative side of that, but, uh, but, you know, that ended up be kind of coming the structure in a lot of ways. And, and even more so, I see it in kind of how we shot it. There's a lot of this circling going on in mm. terms of, you know, the, the camera work and moving through the space and then constantly coming back, right, coming back to the body or kind of coming back to these original situations. A lot of that's unconscious in some ways. Oh, wow. Which I, I, is really effective, too, because I think there's plenty of times where the camera's starting to move somewhere and somebody like Kim is like, no, please, not there. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> Every time we like look over into the kitchen or the dining room, I'm like, no, back to the living room. <laughs> right, right. Room. <laughs> there's lamps there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that, a lot of that, again, is just me kind of just sitting and thinking of scary things. You know, it's there's a certain scare in the basement uh, of the, in the film that either really gets people or doesn't and part of it involves <laughs> turning around and looking behind you um which is you know kind of built into the structure of that scare it was funny when we were shooting it so in in the film dave turns around very very slowly to see what's behind him because he absolutely doesn't want to see because he knows something's there he just doesn't want to see it and when we were shooting i i got some you know, advice from folks who were on set who were like, why does he just turn around quickly? Like, just, just look, if you don't like, just look. And I said, yeah, it's not, that's not delicious. Like you've got to, you've got to live in that moment. So in fact, I was like, oh no, he's going to turn around even slower. So I'm going to make it even slower now because I've been there. I know what that's like. You know, you, you hear something behind you or, you know, I think it's like, there's a Coleridge. I think it's Coleridge. There's a poem by Coleridge that talks about a guy walking down a street alone at night and he knows there's something behind him, but he doesn't want to look. He just wants to keep walking because he knows it's back there. And he, in the moment you look and see, that's the moment you're going to lose your shit, right? That's like, it's, it's over. So right. Drawing that out and kind of making that, that, that is a lot of fun for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's so great. I, I particularly love that scene too, where he has to look behind him. I'm kind of a sucker for that anytime it shows up, but like you do a great job stretching it out. So I'm glad no, somebody told, I'm glad somebody convinced you to make it even longer. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And like when we think of uh, like Jewish horror movies that have a monster or a demon in them, uh, there's a pretty good chance the first thing that's going to pop up is like a Dybbuk, but uh, yeah. you, you mm -hmm. completely avoid all of that and you really introduce people to something entirely new. Is the Mazik something that's... Yeah, so... 
right i kind of had the same thing so once i had the shomer set up and i knew this was gonna be a jewish horror film and kind of rooted in this culture i, I thought okay well what monsters do we have and unfortunately or not in the jewish mythology and religion there's there aren't many monsters there's there's no devil in hell kind of sending forth emissaries well that's there's no nice legions of demons <laughs> yeah yeah it's nice isn't it I, and i love that stuff i i love reading about the kind of the the princes and the the you know the this this demon who's like the the head of this battalion in hell i like i love all that stuff but we don't have any of it there isn't a hell and there isn't a devil like that so so I kind of had to do a deep dive on Jewish demonology. I didn't want to do a Dybbuk. And a Dybbuk is like, right, an evil ghost, basically, an evil spirit that you, you find in Dybbuk boxes where they've been trapped and someone buys a Dybbuk box on eBay and then gets it in the open <laughs> and they're like, oh no, there's a Dybbuk. And then the other most common one is a Gollum. And a Gollum, you know, wasn't going to fit for this at all. So I kind of had to look into it. And in, in, in Judaism, the demons are called Shadim. Um, it's just plural. It's just kind of encapsulating demons. And one of them is a mazik and a mazik in Hebrew means destroyer, which is a cool name. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, I found descriptions of it in, in, in 2000 year old rabbinic literature. And the only thing they really say is you should avoid abandoned houses because there could be a mazik in it. And that's pretty much it. The only other description is that if you put kind of flour out around the edge of a house and there's a mazik in there, in the morning you'll see chicken feet imprints. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is cool, but I'm gonna lose that part yeah. because uh, <laughs> chicken, chicken-footed monster is not gonna be very effective. So I knew this mazik idea was cool and different, um, and so that became the entity at the center of this. But then I had to design it and kind of come up with like, well, what the hell does this thing look like? And for that, it was very important for me to kind of have the demon embody the themes of the film mm. and the psychology of the, the character. It appears as like what he most fears, right? It's like that sort of thing. At the same time, I, I wanted to maybe a little initially to have the film to suggest that maybe it's all in his head and play with that sort of game. But I knew pretty early on that, no, no, this is going to be real. I want to make this a real demon. Thank you for that. Uh, in its own thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, that's a rug pull. It sometimes works in movies, but I usually am disappointed when they're like, no, psych, that was just in his head. That's not really a real demon. I, you, you want it to be real. You're like, yeah, I want this monster in the pantheon. So, um, so the Mazik was an interesting way to kind of get something that's truly Jewish, but at the same time, create it in a way to give it some sort of form. And did, did it take much, did it evolve much like from those early stages to what we see on the screen now? Yeah, you know, I think my earliest, so it's interesting that when it was, when I was going to make this thing, just kind of do it by myself. I initially, when I first wrote the script, it was like, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to find money and I'm going to Cohen Brothers this thing and just like, whatever, I'm just going to make it. I'm going to go find some dentists to give me money to, <laughs> to make this. And it was going to be super low budget. At that point, the Mazik was essentially invisible because like, hey, how cheap is that? Yeah. And That's it was just cheap. auditory. It, it was just a, it was just noise, and then it evolved into more of like the shadow figure. And then it, it wasn't until really, uh, yeah, it was really when I met my producers. Uh, I had a draft of the script then, where I was like, it felt different and new. I'd never seen something with its head twisted around backwards, uh, both because it's a cool concept of staring into the past and never leaving the past, and that fit with Yakov's character. But at the same time, I hadn't seen that. Uh, we've seen a lot of faceless 
sort of monsters where you see something that has like no face standing in front of you. But I, I like the idea of something that had its head turned around. So then it was kind of just figuring out how that works. And I have a, a background in, in healthcare. So for, for me, it was very important that even though this is a completely made up entity, I wanted it to be as scientifically sound as possible. So <laughs> it was about getting the folds in the neck, right? Like if you did twist, I, I didn't practice on anything, but if you twisted a head around all the way, like what would the neck actually look like? And if the head turned to face you, like what were the sounds of the vertebra? Like, how did you, you know, oh, wow. so like that snap, snap, snap. Like I was really going for that sort of thing. So yeah, once we kind of had that idea, then it came time to like actually manufacture this thing and kind of build it. Uh, and, you know, there's lots of trial and error with that and just kind of figuring things out. And, uh, I, you know, I was very happy with kind of how it turned out. It felt, you know, it felt unique and different. And at the same time, it was threatening. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a giant chicken. So, you know, that worked. <laughs> I mean, the chicken footprints in the flower, though, like it's 2000 years ahead of all the paranormal activity movies. They were, they were on right, to something. True. They were, they, right. They, they, they had it down. <laughs> Can you imagine if their house was haunted by like a ghost chicken, though? It'd be all right. You'd, a ghost you'd, like, chicken. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, this is. You just so find bad. these eggs everywhere. <laughs> There'd just be these random eggs. You're like, oh no, this is awful. And they're just making breakfast out of it. <laughs> right. Can't wait for this. Red mozzic. Yeah. So <laughs> mozzic on toast. <laughs> what uh, What would you say is the more lethal side of the mazic then, the front or the back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. I guess it depends on kind of the character. They had the my my conception of this thing is that you have to be really, really strong. So the idea was, you know, and this is something that came up with the producers when we were kind of in conversation, but you always see these things appear right at the end of the hallway and someone freaks out and runs from it. But what if the only way to defeat it was to go towards it, right? And it's that sort of like, that that's an interesting idea. You have to approach it and get to it. So I guess it's kind of twofold. Like it, it's very, it, it wants to be very scary it's trying to frighten you because it's kind of feeding off your fa your fear and your pain. But it, the, the scariest part is when it turns to face you and you, you finally see like that face that's hidden away. Of course, when, when we were designing that, that was always the trick. Well, I was like, well, what is the face? <laughs> you know, because when you say that, when you say, as they do in the film, you have to face its true, true appearance. You know, you can come up with all sorts of things. Oh, no, it's a skull face or no, it has a tentacle face. It's a Cthulhu thing. And that, that immediately, some people would be like, oh, that's not scary. You know, so you're building something that's tricky. So for me, it was really, well, it, again, it had to go back to character. Like whatever that face is going to be, it's got to have direct impact to Yaakov and what he's experiencing. It's a really great sequence. Like the the finale where he's moving toward it and everything. We're not going to talk about it in, in great detail, but it it's really, really effective. I love it. And But also it's it does something that you is very familiar in these types of movies, but in, entirely new uh, because of how you've approached it. Like we're, we're used to seeing people with EMF readers and, you know, whatever <laughs> ghost technology, but uh, Yakov sort of gears up with a bunch of stuff that I have, n I, I know nothing about. So <laughs> yeah. Hoping maybe you sure. can tell us what all that stuff is. Right, right. So that's, that's to fill in. And, uh, you know, it's essentially something that is used in prayer. Um, we got a complex kind of history, but it's essentially there's certain, you know, powerful words in Judaism in terms of in concepts about, about there only being one God, the Lord is your God and he is one. There's only one of them. There's no polytheism, right? It's the origins of monotheistic belief. And 
there's a statement that you should bind those words, you know, mm. before your eyes and, and upon your arm and your hand. And this is taking that literally. So the straps that he puts on is the binding, it's binding it. And then the box that's kind of on the head there contains the prayer. So it's something that people do using to fill in that kind of is a spiritual act that kind of gets people. Um, it, it's something that it's done for lots of reasons, but one is just kind of being in connection and kind of being at peace. At the same time, it's kind of like spiritual armor. You can kind of see it as, so for me, that sequence was really about him gearing up to go into the darkness and getting ready. And I was like, I think my initial my initial stab at that scene in the script was very much evil dead. It was very much like when he puts the chainsaw on his hand. And I was like, yeah, yeah. you got like, we're going to dolly in at a Dutch angle as he's like yeah. putting on, doing each strap, like boom, boom, boom. And I realized oh, this is just, it's not going to work. It's, it's going to be too, it's going to be silly. So we kind of found this middle ground of he's putting it on. We get that it's armor. Um, and that's going to ready him for this encounter that he's about to have this sort of like the culmination of things. And at the same time, it's uh, coming from a place of, uh, you know, this religious, deep religious meaning. It was an interesting, it's a powerful scene to shoot, the tefillin that, that he's using in that is from one of my producer's grand grandfather. Um, so it's, wow. it's well-worn and well-used going back a hundred years. And uh, yeah, it was an emotional sequence, both for Dave and for everyone there. And it, but, but also triumphant. And I think the score, once Yazerski, Michael Yazerski put that score in there, kind of really, we amped it up and we were like, okay, yeah, we're really going for this. This is, this is his shield. It's nice too, because most often in horror, a lot of those, you know, like the hero goes up against the demon battles are done through a, a Christian lens. So it's more of like Catholicism and like the traditional, like, you know, the holy water and uh, whatever the, the, the purple, garb yeah. the purple sash you know <laughs> yeah. but but we get to see a different version of that and like the the tools of faith being used in a unique way yeah and that was important to me was kind of like uh how do we kind of show something that feels familiar and i didn't want to explain it so you know there's a right there's a bad version of this where someone would have said hey go put on to fill and it does this and it means this right <laughs> yeah and kind of given that exposition before he did it i didn't want to do that because i i thought it would just make sense people would just get okay this is what this thing means at the same time it's 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 different it's something that we're not used to seeing uh, most people haven't seen anyone putting on to fill in like that it's it, so taking it into this context it, it makes it you know, interesting. There's a movie called The Wailing, which is an amazing South mm. Korean uh, horror film that has like one of the best exorcism scenes in it, which feels really fresh and new, which is a South Korean shaman doing an exorcism. And I'd watched that before writing The Vigil. And I thought, yeah, they reinvented an exorcism in The Wailing. Like I'd never seen anything like that with knives twirling around and chickens. And it was, it's, it's really wild and crazy and drumming and, uh, I thought that let's try to do that here. Let's try to have this sort of moment be, you know, a Jewish version of that, that is both familiar, but seems like something new that people hadn't seen. It all comes back to chickens, eh? <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. Isn't that funny? <laughs> we probably get yelled at if we didn't ask you at least one question about Firestarter. Um, sure. Do you have much of a connection with that story? Are you looking forward to, to putting that one together? Yeah, no, really, really very much. Um, you know, that was a... That was a very memorable day. It was shortly after the premiere of the vigil at TIFF that uh, 
I had a meeting over at Blumhouse and, and Jason Blum, you know, loved the vigil and, uh, you know, wanted to find a project to work on. And I had, before I kind of went in the meeting, I had a running list in my head. Okay. Like what are the things they have that could, you know, that I, you know, what things could I pitch? And it kind of came out of the blue that he was like, I got it. I got it. It's Firestarter. And, uh, I happen to just have like a very, uh, a very sort of Firestar has been very entwined with my own sort of both. It was one of the first King books that I read as a kid that really, I really identified with. Uh, like I said, I was uh, in healthcare. I was a clinical researcher. I used to do drug studies. So the whole lot six wow. aspect, the drug study thing of the book was something that I, you know, identified with. So it was exciting. I was like, this is great. Certainly could do a fresh new take on Firestarter. And then I read the script by Scott Teams, who wrote the upcoming Halloween Kills, in addition to a lot of amazing stuff that Scott's done. And uh, the script blew me away. It was just like, wow, this is this is great. So yeah, really excited about it. We're hopefully shooting it this year. We've got a great cast um, attached. And I think that, you know, if you love the, the book um, or even the original 80s film, you're gonna really find something new and fresh and fun uh, that is very true to the book. Uh, in this, in this version of Firestarter. And for me, it kind of continues a lot of the same thing that I loved in the vigil in terms of like making the vigil, which was, uh, you know, getting into these tense, raw, emotional experiences of people, you know, faced with things that they can't explain. Right on. Yeah. We're really looking forward to it. And congratulations. I probably should have started with that. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and and yeah, they just recently announced that you uh, you've got Michael Gray eyes on the cast as well. That's gonna yeah. be awesome. He's he's yeah, really and you know it, it's it's funny. He is yeah, no, he's amazing. He's gonna make an incredible Rain Bird. Um, and you know, I had seen Blood Quantum, of course, at TIFF. Uh, it played Midnight Madness uh, along you know oh, with the right, Vigil. Yeah. yeah, so you know, I'd seen Michael Gray eyes then, uh, and I'd seen him in other stuff before, but. Yeah, I was really excited to meet with him for Rainbird, and you know, we really came up with a really interesting way, a way into the character and to kind of create this relentless uh, force of nature that he is. That uh, I think is really going to surprise people. So, one question that we'd like to ask everybody uh, at the end of our interviews: uh, you know, what, What's your dream drive-in double feature? If you could program two <laughs> movies at the drive-in, what would you play? Yeah, so you know, I uh, I think given the sort of sound thing that I really like in terms of as we talked about with the vigil, I'd go with kind of a sound horror double feature, which would be Pontypool. Yeah, Pontypool. Yeah, which is absolutely incredible. So good, and has some of the best scares that involve only a person talking into a microphone. (laughs) That is absolutely incredible. I'd pair that up with a '70s film called The Shout which uh, I don't know how many people have seen. It's, it's more of a cult movie, but it's essentially about a guy who has learned uh, over a long period of time as he's spent out in the outback in Australia, he's learned uh, the ability to kill with the sound of his voice huh. when he gives a certain shout. And so he's returned to England and he's kind of insinuated himself into this family and the shout becomes part of, his, part of what he uses to kind of take control of people. It's it's an interesting, fascinating film. It's very kind of elliptical. It feels very, you know, it's very 70s. Um, but they they kind of, they, 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 they make a good pairing in terms of, you know, horror being auditory and just something we're hearing 
uh, and how that affects us. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm adding that to the letterbox watch list right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good film. And, and I, I really, I, I would love for more people to see Pontypool. You know, I love that movie. Oh yeah, we're we're Canadian, so we're we're with you. We also want more people <laughs> yeah. to see Pontypool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's painful that it's hard to find here in the states. Uh, it's not easy to. I had to import it. Wow. It's just to have my own copy. So uh, yeah, no, it really needs to get out there more because he does so much kind of with just stories. You're just hearing these stories, and it's just your mind just conjures up so many amazing images yeah, uh, you can, in that film. You can almost watch that movie with your eyes closed. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's, it's scary as hell. It really is. It's like what a very fresh take on kind of quote unquote zombie, a uh, zombie story. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's real good. Thank, thank, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. I can't wait for people to see your movie and to hear about how many people couldn't finish it because they were too scared. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a wonder. I I love that. <laughs> I love that. That happens. That's good. That means I did something right. <laughs> the vigil is available right now in select theaters on demand and VOD. Check it out. Yeah. After you <laughs> after you've had a chance to watch it, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you thought. You can find us at NOFS Podcast. We're already talking about it in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord, which you can find at nofspodcast.com slash discord. And if you're still on Facebook, because groups are the only good thing about Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. I love how anytime we have to pl- we plug Facebook now, it's just like, yeah, Facebook, I know, but... It's kind of been that way for a while. Yeah, Facebook did this to itself. If you only, did this to yourself, right? Facebook. If only mom would realize that Facebook is useless, we could get rid of it. Right now, it's just fake news and MLMs. And like, no, I don't want any goddamn lip sense. But also, our horror group is there, and it's still pretty great. So, Oh, yeah. No, I still like groups. If you're on Facebook. Yeah, groups And you're sick of MLMs. Come see some horror memes. But that's it from us this week. I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.